Welcome to True Crime 101 with Murder Friends, three friends from three different countries who talk about murder. My name's Hannah and I'm British. Hi, I'm Anna and I'm American. I'm Alana and I'm Canadian. In addition to our longer episodes, True Crime 101 talks you through key true crime cases and theories. This week, I want to tell you about the Russell murders. Have you heard of them? No. Is that the one with in Kent? Yeah. This okay, is like yeah. my hometown murder sort of thing. It's the one that I really remember when I was growing up. So a lot of this I just remembered from growing up, but I plugged any gaps in my knowledge with sources from Wikipedia and BBC Wales. You can find all the links on our website. So I'm going to take you back to the 9th of July 1996. Dr Lynn Russell walked her two daughters, nine-year-old Josie and six-year-old Megan, home from a school swimming contest with their dog Lucy. They were walking through the country lanes of Chillingdon in Kent. Chillingdon's one of those really old and beautiful villages. It's referenced in the Doomsday Book. It's, it's really pretty. The family included Lynn's husband and father to Josie and Megan, Sean. They had all recently relocated from North Wales and were settling into their new home and area. As they walked, they were attacked, bound, horrifically beaten with a hammer. Lynn and Megan were killed along with their dog, Lucy, and Josie was left severely injured. Lynn, Megan and Josie were found eight hours after the attack had taken place and Kent Police described it as one of the most horrific crimes ever committed. It really rocked the community. That was my thumb, sorry. <laughs> Ow. What did you do? <laughs> it just clicked. I feel like a 90-year-old woman. <clears throat> sorry. Following on one of the biggest manhunts in British history, and the case being featured on Crime Watch, a year after the attack, an arrest is made. The then 37-year-old Michael Stone is charged with two counts of murder and one account of attempted murder. At his trial in 1998, despite Stone pleading not guilty, he is convicted. There's no DNA or forensic evidence linking Stone to the crime, but a guilty verdict is a guilty verdict is reached on witness testimony. This came from one of Stone's fellow inmates who claimed he'd confessed to the murders whilst being in prison. There was forensic evidence at the scene, however. One piece, um, a shoelace, went missing, so they were unable to later test it for DNA and pieces of a swimming towel which had been ripped into strips to bind the family had DNA from a male on the ends, but they weren't, allowed, they weren't able to like, link it to anybody. But it wasn't linked to Michael Stone. So they couldn't link it to anyone, but it definitely wasn't his? Yeah. They right. could say it was like a male's DNA, but that was it. Oh. Wow. It's like... Um, so I've heard of them as referred to as the... Is it the Chillington murders The Chillington well? murders, yeah. Yes, because they're... I mean, obviously, it's, again, like you said, a sleepy village, like, in Kent, very picturesque. But, yeah, I didn't... Uh, I, and I think I, there might have been a... Some, like, little documentary on Channel 4 or ITV a while back. Yeah, BBC Tudibon. Um, I think oh, okay. I'll cover that one in a second, actually, because some really interesting bits came out of that. So after Stone's conviction, there was a retrial in 2001 after a prosecution witness recanted his evidence and the credibility of another witness was questioned. He was convicted for a second time, but his lawyers at this second trial stated that it was unfair because of the manner in which the judge summed up the case in closing. In 2006, following an appeal to the High Court, a judge decided that he should only be eligible for parole after serving 25 years. So it's unlikely that he'll be freed before 2023, when he'll be 63. Michael Stone had a number of mental health and drug addiction problems before the murders. He had quite a turbulent childhood. He suffered from domestic abuse and then was placed in care as a result. After leaving care, he began using heroin. 
His first criminal offence took place when he was just 12 years old. And throughout the 1980s and 1990s, he received prison sentences for robbery, burglary, grievous bodily harm and assault, occasioning actual bodily harm. Um, an inquiry was held to discuss the support he received in relation to his drug addiction and mental health issues from the probation service prior to the murders. Because five days before the murders of Lynn and Megan, Stone had allegedly threatened to kill his family and criminal justice staff. The outcome of the inquiry was summed up that failings were found, but it did not agree that these failings resulted in Stone committing these murders. He protests his innocence to this day. Um, There's quite a big twist in this story in that it was reported in 2007 by BBC Wales that British serial killer Levi Belfield allegedly confessed to killing Lynn and Megan and leaving Josie with critical injuries and what his motivation for doing so was. He also allegedly mentioned facts which were not available to the public. There could also be witnesses who saw Belfield near the scene around the time of the murders. Um, So Levi Belford is actually in prison serving two whole life terms for the murders of Marsha McDonnell, Amelie Delagrange and Millie Dowler and the attempted murder of Kate Sheedy. He has also previously been charged with three counts of rape in London and Surrey, the assault of a woman in Twickenham and causing grievous bodily harm to another woman. Belford is a former nightclub bouncer and has the gross nickname, the bus stop killer, as he would ambush women waiting at bus stops. Oh my, I can't think, like, I I, uh, used to take the bus when I first moved to England because I couldn't drive here yet, and there's something so sinister about waiting for the bus stop, like, especially now at this time of year, and it's dark, and you're just staying there by yourself, you just finished work, you know, get waiting for the bus to go home, sometimes you have to wait like 20, 25 minutes, and for someone to like attack you while you're just standing there by yourself, that's like straight up nightmare fuel. There is, I swear that yeah. it's like horror films. It's in horror yeah. films or something where they're like waiting for the bus and get attacked or oh, something. Ooh. Yeah. And you always get like, not weirdos at bus stops, but you always, it's like, I always feel like on edge if I ever have to wait for a bus. Like yeah. on edge. It's horrible. With the bus wankers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm not calling you a bus wanker specifically, Elena, but. <laughs> well, even like once you're on the bus, way back when I did the Greyhound bus murder for one of my true crime one-on-ones. And I would, especially at nighttime, and if there were people on the bus who looked maybe, I don't know, just a little bit sketchy. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, and I'm just thinking like, oh no, like, (laughs) I don't want, I don't want, I don't want to die in a bus. I think because you're like, you feel like you're in this enclosed space with somebody. Yeah. And you don't know them. You don't know them. And then it's just like, because you get off the bus and there could be nothing around. Whereas I think sometimes... I don't know why it's any different with a train, really, but maybe because you feel like you have more space. I think it's because, like, a lot of, like, train stations are, like, manned. Like, there are a lot of other people around. exactly, And they're normally, like, busier places than, I mean, not, like, the tiny country ones, but. No. Oh, yeah. So the fact that he's, like, attacking people at bus stops is horrific. Yes. Horrible. So please also note that Belfield could be linked to other attacks in Britain that involve the use of blunt instruments. Mm. It's pretty horrible. Um, so in 2017, as Anna mentioned, um, a two-part documentary called The Chillingdon Murders aired on BBC Two. The programme amassed independent experts to re-examine the evidence in the case. Um, the Telegraph summed up the findings of the programme as, quote, According to the BBC, new details uncovered during the making of the documentary raised the possibility that the wrong man may have been convicted. So further, Stephen 
Oh, I hate names. Stephen Camlish? Camlish? Camlish. Why not? A criminal defence barrister and Cheryl Nwusu, a legal expert who featured on the programme, believe that there are doubts, serious doubts, regarding the secured conviction. They're actually working towards issuing a third appeal against the conviction on behalf of Michael Stone. Wow. I think there's like a number of reasons why this one scared me so much. Because I think like Lynn, Megan and Josie were out doing something they've probably done like a thousand, well not a thousand times before, but like numerous times before. They're in this like peaceful little village. And it's this, I, I was like the same age That's as Josie. Yeah, I was like roughly the same age of, as Josie when this happened. And I just remember thinking like how cruel it was to have like your mother and sister like snatched away from you. She survived, right? To go, yeah, and then having to go through this like really long recovery process. She yeah. suffered life-threatening in, like head injuries after the attack. Yeah. Um, and yeah, her prognosis right. was like initially very, very poor as her injuries were so catastrophic. She went through years of physical therapy, but she made full, a full recovery. Wow. Josie and her father, Sean, moved back to Wales shortly after the attack. Um, Josie then went on to complete a graphic design degree and now she makes like really beautiful cards and like this like textile landscapes you can see them on her website I think it's just like josierussell.com and she's just recently got engaged to a a man called Ewan and oh I love them the the hard I think really hard thing is which you get these really massive cases that are you know infamous even Um, I know the Millie Dowler one that that name is in, mm-hmm. in England, that's one. And then we have the ones in, like, obviously in Canada and then the U.S., like, John Bonet. Those, like, never go away. Your your name is forever tied to that. So not only have you been through this horrific crime, you've lost your mom and your sister. You now can, like, really like, never escape it. Because that was, like, a really – it was a, obviously a huge story. And um, the fact that they're still even doing documentaries on it now. Yeah, I think it, like it, – like- it was a huge case in like Kent and a huge case in like England and Britain and then to have this you know potentially you've got the wrong man I remember I did watch that and I remember thinking like there there really wasn't did you think that the documentary was quite biased though I think that's where you always run into which we talk about quite a lot is Mm. that you always run into they they have an agenda when they set out to make a film unlike how you you know um, the I love you now die that we reviewed last Mm. week where you, you've got, like, two clear sides of it that you try to tell, that you, your best to tell. It's really hard not to have an agenda or a story, because you're, you're telling a story at the end of the day. So mm. I suppose it is hard to, unless you're actually going to lay out all of the thing, the reasons why he was convicted. But to have, like, no physical evidence? That's... Yeah, I found that really strange, because it was quite a brutal attack. If you think about it, he, yeah. he bound an adult and two children up and then attacked them with a hammer. And also killed their dog with the hammer as well. And they're saying there's no forensic evidence available linking him to the murder, like, to the crime scene. I find that very fascinating. Yeah, like, yeah. that. that's a lot. I mean, not to get too grim, that's a lot of blood just in general. But mm. w- did he attack them just on the street? They were walking down, like, a little country lane. Oh, and he, I like, see. pulled them off onto one side into, like, a little box. Oh, pops. God, Okay. I think it's strange. I mean, he's not like a criminal mastermind either. It would be hard to contain that many people. Yeah, well, like yeah, with the greatest respect, he's not like an exceptionally smart man who knows who you know would know how to get away with making sure that your DNA wasn't found at a crime scene in such like a frenzied attack as well. Exactly. Well, you're trying to kill three people. That, you're going to you're going to leave something people? behind. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably just for 
if you think a mother and two young children, like nine and six. God. But how, like, you wonder what happened because, like, why didn't, and, like, I can understand why the mother didn't run. Like, if he had had one of the children. Then why didn't the other, like, you just wonder, or the dog, or, like, with the dog trying to get, you know, the dog, even physical evidence on the dog. Like, did the dog try to attack him? Like, you would just think, I would just think that with a just a hammer, how, uh, you wonder how, or if there was more than one person. You don't know how, like, manipulative How do you contain that many people and that dog and everything? Yeah. I think as well, if you, I mean, I don't have kids, so I'm talking completely out of my butt. But if someone, like, approached you and you felt threatened, there might be that instinct, well, I'm just going to, I'm going to do what he says. And maybe he's going to rob us. Maybe he wants, it, you know, yeah. to rob us or something. I'm just going to be nice and kind. And and maybe this won't be such a big deal. Because, you, like, you would never think, oh, I'm just walking home from a swimming contest with my kids and I should be on the lookout for someone trying to kill us because we live in this beautiful little quiet village, you know, that probably has mm-hmm. almost no crime. Like, it's not something yeah. you would expect at all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's what made it so shocking is that obviously, like, terrible, brutal crimes happen in the UK, but they don't tend to happen in places like that. No. I think that's that's scary. Well, also, it's a very... We're living out in Kent. Obviously, there's, there's quite a lot of countryside as there is in, you know, in other parts of England. But I know, especially living in England, it's a very big thing to go walking. Like, the, you know, the bright yeah, lights walk everywhere. Yeah. And you do, walk, you do walk everywhere as well. You walk a lot. Yeah, you yeah. walk everywhere and having a dog and going for a walk and then just being out. It is, it's just a very big part of, like, British life, I would say. Yeah. So it's a very normal, like, a very normal thing in a very normal little village to be doing. So, which, it's not like you're in the middle of, like, London, no. And in some seedy area. Like, you know and what I mean? It's not like you're putting yourself in a risky situation. No. It's not like, it's nothing, nothing like that. Like, it's not your fault that this happened. No, not at all. So what is the general consensus? Is Michael the actual killer? Or is it leaning now more towards that he's been, like, wrongfully convicted? I think it's probably leaning towards the latter point that he has been wrongfully convicted. I think it's just, like, the lack of evidence... The fact that his the witness testimony was all was is now very questionable, but because it was happened such a long time ago, that the witness testimony now said so they had like a new witness that would be questioned due to the amount of time that's passed. Right. So yeah, it's really it's a really odd one, in that there's nothing they can really do to prove that he didn't do it. Yeah, apart like from, one this, way apart from this lack of like DNA evidence. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was, I'm again. I'm, I remember watching that when it came out, but it's been two years, mm. and it does make him look not not very guilty. Mm. Yeah, it's just hard to tell what they've omitted or or what they've stressed. Like we were talking before about all these uh, documentaries usually have one side or the other. You know, in a previous episode, I think last week we were talking about uh, Samuel Little and how he has started confessing to crimes, and it's actually quite surprising that those are, I want to say, becoming proven that's not a sentence um they're legit basically Mm -hmm. which normally doesn't happen so i wonder if this guy it's now a case of either like samuel little they're real confessions or he's just saying it because he's gonna be in prison the rest of his life and why not yeah well he's saying now that he didn't do like the, the guy who's in prison for that murder those murders is saying that he didn't do it he's always protested his innocence and he is eligible for release in 
you know, three, four years. But the other guy, he's probably going to be in prison for the rest of his life. And he's come forward and said that he's uh, done Levi, Levi Belfield. He said that, um, well, so, someone said that he confessed to the murders whilst oh, he was in prison. Right. So so even though, who knows that? Yeah, it's like the same scenario for both of them. Yeah. But it's just like, who do you believe? What is more likely? Can they just test the DNA on the thing against like the national database now? <laughs> just test it yeah. against the other guy. Maybe that would help. But I don't know whether it's like an active and ongoing thing because they've got someone behind bars for it. I wonder what what was her, his previous crimes though? Like I know he was a drug addict, wasn't he? Uh, yeah, he was done for burglary, assault, burglary. GBH, and assault, actioning, actual bodily harm. So he's got like a violent a violent past, but he does, yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering, like, the progression. Like, is that, like, a huge jump from what he was doing before? Like, were they all sort of drug-related before? And then suddenly, like, this just seems like a... An escalation, you know, like, one step up. Es- like, a massive yeah, escalation. Yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. I also remember when I was, I was at secondary school, there was a girl in my year who bragged that she was related to Michael Stone. <laughs> bragged. I remember um, I was going to ask you about that, but I didn't know if you actually wanted to admit that, so I didn't. <laughs> I didn't bring it up. I remember you telling us that. <laughs> My school was pretty fucking rough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and she was gross. But uh, uh, I don't know. This one, I don't know if I that's think. something that you really want to brag about. No. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm related to a, a potential murderer, an attempted murderer. And a, a murderer that potentially, like, killed a kid. Yeah. What piece of shit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, no, it's that is, it's, that sounds like a really troubled family. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So I think that's all we've got. Good job today, Hannah. That was definitely... Horrifying. Thank you. Horrifying one. (laughs) Good night. (laughs) Um, If you want to check out our website, we always do some follow-up stuff on our blog, murderfriends.com, or check us out on Instagram, murderfriendspod, or Twitter, murderfriendspd. And if you have anything you want to email us about, any stories, anything we should be watching, anything we should be listening to, any suggestions like that, or any topics that you think would be good to cover for True Crime 101s, you can email us at murderfriendspod at gmail.com. Bye! Bye. <laughs>